you have been following the news on Bitcoin, you will see that it's trading at the price of almost $20,000, which was its peak three years ago. But this time, the hype around it is much lesser and it's not front page news anymore. So yeah, the demand for Bitcoin is up again, which means to say that world over, people are getting comfortable with cryptocurrencies. Along with this, the underlying distributed ledger technology has also been picking up steam. As we record this, four major Indian banks have picked up a stake in IBBIC Private Limited, which is proposed to be a fintech startup aiming to explore blockchain solutions for Indian banking. So it's not just crypto startups and blockchain startups that have become mainstream, but world over, even central banks are now jumping on the bandwagon, experimenting with various forms of digital currency. For the sake of convenience, we'll call it central bank digital currency. Ever since the coronavirus pandemic began, China has taken the lead in developing its digital renminbi and other developed countries are now following suit. Multilateral institutions such as the Bank of International Settlements and the Group of 30 have commissioned various reports and developments in this space are being closely tracked. We have now reached a stage where economists and policymakers across the world are reimagining money. My guest today is Dr. Amol Agarwal, Professor of Economics at Ahmedabad University. His blog, Mostly Economics, is one of the most popular blogs in Indian economics, and he has spent a lot of time thinking about and writing on digital currencies. Amul Agarwal has done extensive work in the fields of macroeconomics, banking, history of economic thought, economic and financial history. As we go into this conversation, he brings with him a deep knowledge of financial history and monetary policy. We spent the first half of this episode talking about the fundamental concept of money and the second half on central bank digital currencies. So can we just take a step back here and try to understand uh, how is currency created? It is, what does it mean? So so it's a store of value. It's a unit of account. It's mode of settlement. So I just want to understand like, how is it created and what does it mean? This is, this is always a very interesting question. And there are, there is not, not an easy answer despite uh, several people uh, researching on the idea of money and central bank currencies and so on and so forth, we still don't really have a very clear definition of, you know, what really constitutes a currency. And then here we have, you know, two schools of thought. In fact, uh, I would recommend, uh, recommend people uh, hearing here to, to read this book by David Graber, 5,000 Years of Debt. David Graber is this anthropologist who just died very recently, very sadly. So David Graber's point is, is very different from the point I was just making you know, a couple of uh, minutes ago, which was saying that it was the individuals and the banks which created money. But Grabber's point largely is that money is always, you know, around uh, credit systems and uh, is basically around the fact that uh, state has to allow, uh, and state is a major player in creation of any money in the, in the economy or any currency in the economy. So, so essentially currency, I think from this whole thing that you've got to, you know, pay something uh, currently, right? So uh, that as you buy something, uh, you are, you know, immediately paying. And, and then the second viewpoint, which I was discussing is that it's the individuals and the private institutions, which, which have left to, which, which have led to this whole currency system. And uh, also before the currency, there was barter. So uh, there, there, there are there are these viewpoints. Several macroeconomic textbooks or monetary textbooks will start with the fact that there is barter first, uh, then followed by individuals deciding that you know you cannot really have a barter for everybody working. So as a result, you know gradually you came came with a common commodity which could circulate amidst all of us, and that's what became currency. 
so whereas you know grabbers viewpoint would be that look there is not a single example of of a barter system working in the world uh, anthropologists have looked at all kinds of evidences and so on and so forth but we've not really come across any barter systems essentially it is the state and uh, you know that whole thing is is a credit creation activity which leads to creation of money where money is simply an iou instrument uh, which means that you know i owe you and uh, the state allows that iou instrument to be settled as taxes and that's what leads to sort of you know building or shaping of a currency so whether it's a king whether it's a whether it's a state whether it's a government you know we simply we simply say that look you've got to pay your taxes in 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 this currency only so or in this uh, you know in this circulating medium uh, so automatically since taxes have to be paid that becomes the the de facto currency so from a barter system we evolved into a currency which uh, then became a mode of settlement which is nothing but uh, you can say that it became legal tender it got the sanction of the state and therefore it became a mode of exchange and settlement right so uh, how do we understand that is there a difference between uh, a legal tender and a payment system i understood the importance of legal tender though economics textbooks do mention it won't but don't discuss it when demonetization happened where uh, the prime minister announced that you know the rupees 500 and 1000 rupee notes are not really considered as legal tender anymore so there i uh, sort of understood this little more in the sense that there is a state uh, which simply says that all your debts have to be all all your pay, i mean whatever uh, payments or whatever things you bought can only be paid in in this currency and in this denomination so we have you know all these uh, different acts which uh like the indian coinage act you know your your payments have to be made and if you're making a payment in uh, of 1000 rupees then it it has to be you know they've got all these limits so saying that you you cannot really pay 1000 rupee in 25 paisa denomination you've got to something like that i don't remember the exact thing so that is the legal tender aspect of it where you say that whatever payments you're making you know whatever it has to be sanctioned by the state we are all living in uh, nation states there is a, there is a government and all these governments have specified a legal tender a payment system is something which facilitates the legal tender in the sense that you know there was a time where all of us were simply paying you know whatever through largely through through the currency i mean through the through the bank notes through the currency notes now we've got you know all kinds of payment systems and uh, the payment systems are not just between uh, you and me or between the bank and me but but even between the banks and even between the banks and the state so so the payment system encompasses all this you know financial activity across different uh, sets of players here also you know largely central banks across the world because of their handling of the monetary uh, authority function handle the payment systems as well so the state uh, the, so the state will or the the government will essentially set up the legal tender rules and the payment systems uh, you know are governed by different entities mostly central banks to facilitate transactions and so on and so forth in that legal tender 
So in terms, uh, when we were talking about creation of money, you said that creation of money happens through credit. And here, when we talk about the payment system, we understand that there is a payment system between banks and individuals, between banks and between bank and the state. So, uh, so how do we understand who creates money here? Is it the central bank and the state that's creating money or is it the commercial banks that are creating money by giving out loans? That's a fabulous and a million dollar question. Uh, so all this while uh, we were under the impression that you know the money is essentially created by the central banks and uh, they are the ones which control the printing presses. Though over a period of time, uh, it was understood that the central banks are not really each time they are you know printing or they are giving creating money it's not really through the printing presses but simply through transactions so largely the transactions uh, the central government uh, the central bank was happening was doing with banks or the government it was mostly an accounting entry and you could you could almost say that it was it was already digitized in that sense that you know you you say that there are there is something called the wholesale uh, payment systems and there are the retail payment systems so the wholesale payment systems is essentially between uh, the central bank and the banks and that was largely it it was basically people like you and me uh, who uh, were still you know needing that notes and we would go to the bank and you know pay uh, our like for for you canteen bills and so on and so forth essentially you know still still go in in the physical currency sort of a thing in 2014, there was a landmark paper by Bank of England economists who pointed out that, you know, so far there is an impression that central banks would create money. And uh, the role of banks is simply as an intermediary where you take the deposits and you simply lend the loans. That, that paper pointed out that, you know, this whole thing is, is not really the way banks work. In fact, banks create much of the money. Uh, the central banks don't create Central banks also create money, but the share of central banks creating money in the overall monetary system has come down significantly. It is largely the banks creating money. And uh, banks also create money. I mean, so the usual idea we had was that, you know, bank is like this, is like this silent passive entity in creation of money. That's something a deposit comes in. Most countries have this cash reserve ratio. You impose some cash reserve ratio and and then the, the bank gives a loan to the system. And as a result, you have a money multiplier working. But for this, uh, what is important is that it is the deposit which has to be created first. So these Bank of England economists said that, you know, that is also not right. The banks simply don't need a deposit to create money. Banks can, banks create money first by giving loans. So essentially, uh, when, when the bank is not waiting for a deposit to come, whenever a bank gives you a loan. So bank is more interested in finding a credit worthy borrower. The moment it finds it, it gives that loans to that loan to that person and automatically creates a deposit account because when you give a loan to the person, it, it, it automatically you know, comes back either to this bank or to the banking system generally. I mean, most, most of us take loans from the, from the same bank uh, in which we have accounts. So automatically that deposit is created and from that deposit, you know, we make, for instance, you've taken a home loan. It's not the case that the bank will first wait for a deposit and then give you a home loan. The bank will simply give you a home loan of let's say, 10 lakhs or 20 lakhs and uh, automatically credits that to your deposit account as well. And as you pay back your loans, your, it, it gets subtracted from the deposit. So, so essentially this, this paper, which came actually as a bulletin article, completely shook the monetary system so far. I mean, in the sense that 
Firstly, it was saying that central banks are not the major creators of money. Secondly, it was saying that, you know, the banks are not merely financial intermediaries, but are a major player in the creation of money. And they also create money not via deposits, as we understood, but mainly via loans. If we had done this interview 2000, before 2014, let's say, then I would have given you the traditional you know, deposits and central banks are the major creators of money and so on and so forth. But now, since we are doing this in 2020, a lot of literature subsequently has come and several central bankers have actually written about the fact that it's the loans which create money and banks are playing a major role. So we shouldn't really treat banks as some financial intermediaries. And uh, this whole process of money, if I can use the economics jargon, is not an exogenous where, you know, it's, it's a central bank which creates money and then it comes to the banking system. But much of it is endogenous that a lot of money is created in the banking system. The point is that I find it very amusing that it took so many years, so many decades of monetary scholarship. Uh, and actually, if you read the literature in the 1930s, most people understood that it's the loans which create money. But somewhere down the line, this whole thing, you know, gets, we some, somehow just lose track of it. And everybody's talking about, uh, you know, banks as this financial intermediaries. And, and actually, it has, a, it, has a, it has a major role to play in, in the financial crisis because what was happening all this while is that in all these macro research, macro models, you were treating banks as financial intermediaries wherein you said, you know, the banks are simply playing an intermediary role. Uh, so as a result, uh, nobody was really paying attention to the kind of risks banks can create in the, in the economy. And now suddenly with this sort of research where you say, look, banks are not just financial intermediaries, but they create money and uh, they can create excessive money. And, you know, and as a result, you could, you know, have this, these financial stability and instability cycles going on. So as a result, post the 2008 crisis and post the 2014 paper, you got a lot of clarity on, you know, the role of banks and role of financial institutions that they are not simply just intermediaries, as we are saying, but they're creators of money. This actually takes me back to the discussion you had with uh, Pawan Srinath on Pragati, where you were discussing for the banking system to be established, should we first have deposits or should we first give out loans? Well, the traditional understanding was about deposits. As you said, once a loan is given out, it comes into my deposit account. So you are, in, a, in essence, creating a deposit account and then getting the banking system to function. So uh, now that we've understood like the role of banking and how banking as an intermediary has now become a, a, a creator of money, right? So there's also this criticism, as you rightly pointed out, after the 2008 crisis, where there was this talk about your privatizing creation of money and therefore the incentives of a private bank is different from that of a central bank. And when they have a bigger role to play in terms of inflation and deflation, then it becomes, the, the entire system becomes a lot more riskier. So with that in mind, I feel that was, I think, the backdrop of this talk about central bank digital currencies and why we need to have like a decentralized, the centralized system of currencies again. This entire movement in Switzerland also has had been happening recently. So uh, if we have to translate this whole thing into a digital mode, right? So if I have to transact through a wallet and how do I understand a digital currency as a store of value? Because as you said, a, a currency, or a, if I'm paying a hundred rupee note, it's just an IOU. It's, it's merely an accounting transaction. I am just telling you that I've settled my debt of hundred rupees to you. How, how do I understand that in a digital mode saying that my wallet, RBI wallet, for example, if we have a CBDC is a store of value and not just a mere accounting transaction. 
some things are quite uh, sort of interesting here in the sense that so far the, the way the system was working was like a hierarchy you had a central bank which was seen as a lender of last resort it would it would publish all the it would print all these bank notes and uh, lender to the government lender to the banks but you know there the central banks uh, connection to the general public was through the banking system as in all that currency central banks print is you know first goes to the branches of these various commercial banks and so on and so forth uh, the question is whether and over a period of time as deposits have become the major way of settling our debts as you said uh, we you know we are simply signing checks or uh, making transactions through the atm cards and so on and so forth now with the central bank digital currency there are a couple of interesting things which are going on firstly sticking to sticking to this uh, economics of it one major interest interesting point is that now with with a digital currency what is possible is that you could you could actually open an account with the rbi so uh, in the sense that because once you have a digital currency uh, you don't really need an sbi or you know all these entities to really settle your transactions you can open a, open an account with the rbi and simply whatever incomes you generate or whatever transactions you do you know the rbi uh, simply facilitates those transactions so right now maybe like you have an sbi deposit account you could have an rbi account and uh, you could be making your payments in in the digital currency issued by the by the central bank so this has led to you know some of these uh, guys some of these for instance denmark and some of these countries they have realized that a central bank digital currency will create some sort of an instability in the banking system and uh, they have you know as a result ruled out the idea of a digital currency whereas there are some more countries like singapore uh, sorry switzerland uh, sweden and so on and so forth who are because the usage of cash is declining very quickly so they realize that you know digital currency and then figure out a way as to uh, how do banks continue to you know remain in the remain in the business whereas uh, you know central banks are doing issuing uh, that sort of digital currency another sort of point here which is even more interesting is to is is that whole political economy of digital currencies so what's happening is that since the second world war and the setting up of bretton woods and so on and so forth us dollar has remained the hegemonic currency i mean it started as as a world reserve currency and stuff like that but then it has been very difficult to upset uh, you know upset the us card i mean us holds a lot of power in the world economy so if you look at united states share in the world economy world trade all of that has declined over the years but the share of us dollar in all the transactions you do in in the in the financial world us dollar is still the supreme sort of a thing so uh, you started a euro you started you know you you started an sdr Uh, IMF started a special drawing, right? Uh, right. All these things were started to sort of, you know, give some competition uh, to the United States dollar. But none of these experiments have worked. So what some of these countries are trying to do is is to push a digital currency and uh, try and you know replace because as the world becomes more and more digital over a period of time, you know how those transactions are going to be settled. You are seeing that in a physical sort of a world. there is no way in which us dollar can be replaced but in a in a more digital sort of a world which is a new world there are there is an opportunity for 
some of these countries, especially, you know, the Chinese are experimenting big way. I mean, they have already have an experiment of central bank digital currency uh, working in some of these, uh, in some of their provinces. Likewise, within Europe, uh, French are very aggressive about uh, promoting uh, digital euro. Obviously, if, if there was a, if the Central Bank of France, you know, right now we know that it's given monetary policy to ECB, so it cannot really do do these things. But let's say if if Bank de France was, you still had you know fr- uh, franc as a currency, then they would have, you know, very aggressively pushed a digital franc. Uh, right now they know that you know they're part of the overall systems, overall European system in which, you know, Germans are more conservative about a digital option. ECB as a whole is sort of not very aggressive and French have always had a problem with, you know, the, uh, the, the, fa- uh, the famous uh, uh, phrase for US dollar exorbitant privilege was given by one of those French ministers in the 1960s that United States has an exorbitant privilege because of the US dollars role in the world economy. So the French have always been very sort of, you know, been very interested in dominating the world political affairs and so on and so forth. So there are, there are these economic reasons where you are seeing that, you know, central banks are conscious of these challenges of digital currency and so on and so forth. And there are these, there are these dialogues going on that, you know, how do we uh, get a digital currency? And uh, for instance, Canada, Bank of Canada has taken a lot of, there, is a, there are a lot of stuff come in, as you said, post-pandemic. And they are basically talking about some kind of a wallet, uh, which will be, uh, issued by the central bank, which will also work offline. It, it, it does not really need any connectivity. You know, just like you store money in your physical wallet, you would be storing money uh, issued by the central bank in that wallet. What that instrument is going to be, perhaps it's going to be a lot like those pagers we used to have uh, earlier on, a very small instrument, which, we, which we'll all keep in our pockets, which will have, you know, the central bank loaded currency. So, there is there are these economic things going on that you know on one hand you're seeing that it could it could create some sort of a instability in the banking system but even then uh, central banks like sweden canada they are experimenting with you know these ideas saying if there is central bank digital currency how it's going to be you know what wallet shape it's going to have and so on and so forth and then there are there are these sort of global political economy reasons uh, that even if there are these challenges of digital currency. Some of these countries like China, France, they really want to push a digital currency to counter the hegemony of US dollar. The Chinese are hoping that over a period of time, and you know, in, in, in any currency system, you know, there is this whole thing of a threshold. Once you cross that threshold, then the number of, I mean, a threshold in terms of number of users, number of transactions, and so on and so forth. Then it, once you cross cross that threshold and there is a network network effect which which is at work and as a result uh, you know several uh, people begin to use it so so the chinese are, are thinking that you know it it, it is very difficult uh, for a renminbi in the current form to replace the us dollar but once the world is more open to some of these di- digitization and stuff like i mean it is already open how do we take advantage of this and how do we push so some fairly interesting debates, conversations going on at both the sides of the monetary systems. I mean, you have this political economy and you have this sort of just the pure economy or the pure finance uh, 
Thank yeah, you. so there, there's quite a lot to unpack here. So you st- you spoke about the models and the geopolitical aspects of it, but something that struck out for me was the financial stability aspect. As you said, that I can have an account with the RBI directly, and I don't need SBI, HDFC, or any other commercial bank anymore. So uh, now that from from banks creating money, the the function now mo- of creating money solely rests with the central bank. So doesn't this uh, make banks run out of business? Like they. What is their function in the system now? They are just intermediaries clearing payments, but that's not there anymore because of the RBI, and they don't need to have deposits because you'll have your deposit, you'll have your account with the RBI directly. So where is their function now? This is where central banks are again going to say that look, we will do what we were doing. Uh, we'll create a digital currency, but you will still need to, you know, have an account with the bank, and you know, you you do not want to create. you know any problems on financial stability front that uh, people are you know able to shift their deposits from from let's say a troubled bank to a central bank you know this is the way discussions start really you look at the possibility technology has allowed you allowed things to happen in fact rbi has put up all these uh, committee reports on its website and there is a very interesting report in 1984 for uh, by headed by dr rangarajan was then the deputy deputy governor on mechanization of banks if you if one goes through that report which was like the first attempt for computerization and you look at 2020 uh, so this is how many years something like 35 36 years in 30 35 years have changed so dramatically uh, you know where technology is is playing such a big role that you can actually uh, envisage a lot of us actually opening accounts with the central bank so essentially you know this is where the discussion started saying that okay what what does this digitization lead to i mean what has that led to so it has led to this possibility that you know you could actually have an account with the rbi because the, the way the technology has become cheaper uh, and uh, that accessibility and availability and stuff like that so but then obviously uh, that is that is you know one sort of a utopian uh, solution that you know let's let's remove all these banks and let rbi uh, do whatever it can but then uh, again it centralizes things extensively the central bank becomes a totally a centralized entity and uh, that sense so i think it's going to be it's going to be uh, the same uh, sort of a structure sorry the central banks are not going to do any replacement or anything that the system is going to still be hierarchical in fact uh, seychelles is is a central bank which experimented with digital currency i think they are the first central bank which already have digital currency on their balance sheet i was quite curious to see that how they are functioning so what they have done is that you know the liabilities i mean on, on a balance sheet of a central bank you have these currency these notes in circulation is the, is the major liability so within this you have they they now have e dollars which they call the sand dollars or something like that so it is so what what is going to happen over a period of time is that you know you stop printing these bank notes and they're going to be increasingly uh, taken up by the digital uh, notes which you and me will continue to hold you know in our deposits in some kind of a wallet uh, and uh, i think gradually there'll be rules by uh, laws by people like you saying that you know the central banks cannot issue wallets that the wallets will only be issued by the the commercial banks and so on and so forth and uh, and in order for this to work see this already rbi has 
come up with some guidelines uh, where it has it is now looking at experiments on allowing these digital payments to happen on an offline mode i think uh, it just came came out some time ago so i think you know there are a lot of these parallel experiments going on in the space and gradually come together saying that you know the system is going to still remain the same but we are increasingly uh, going to be doing everything digitally right now you know you are still making those transactions with with a fruit seller or you know those most of these guys through the notes i think over a period of time a lot of this is going to be replaced there are there are concerns valid concerns that the older population the not so savvy population is still very uncomfortable with the digital money and so as a result uh, most of the central banks will say that you know this is largely the, the two systems are going to work together and then over a period of time everybody will get used to it and physical notes you know will will do away with but one big concern in all this technology always i think which we need to maybe talk about if not now maybe later is this whole thing of privacy and anonymity and unfortunately very little discussion uh, happens on this these two dimensions and again on this i just you know understand it very superficially and i am sure lawyers understand it better that you know what does it mean because right now if i am making a transaction in a physical note uh, it is both anonymous and it is it is private now uh, a lot of times yes all these illegal activities and stuff like that the state should know but the digitization and digital transactions in a large number without anonymity and uh, privacy principles being respected exposes a lot of citizens to the state control as well so i have only seen discussions in in some of these discussions in european central bank papers about anonymity there are there are centrally fed research papers also which have spoken about anonymity and privacy but largely much of the digital community uh, or the digital currency community is you know simply pushing this as some sort of an efficiency and you know but these are not the only matrix uh, which are there for a currency yes it's a very efficient system and so on and so forth but at the same time i have valid reasons if state is watching every transaction i'm doing and and for all you know that becomes possible with a digitization with a full digital project on 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 the discussion on the models where you said that you know both systems will exist together and you spoke a lot about how there will be an indirect way of distributing these cb these cbdcs right so that's one thing and also you said that this de- this deposit system of transacting with money will continue whereas the essence of a digital currency as you rightly pointed out was that it's about efficiency right so right now the payments through banks no matter how much innovation we have through upi wallet or how, all the innovation that's coming up it's happening through the deposit based system whereas even if you bring a cbdc under a deposit based system i think the technological objective of it really won't be met is that's that's my uh, uh, th- thought whereas on the other hand having an account with the rbi and directly transacting through the rbi is the uh, in what these technical terms call like as the token system of payment system right so if there is a deposit system and if we have a cbdc and also at the same time if we have a parallel currency paper currency going on one what will be the implications of uh, financial stability which you covered little bit earlier and secondly does it have any purchasing parity implications because if there are something that has to be done digitally and if there is something that has to be done through paper 
then people will start pricing it differently over a period of time i believe that the market will start pricing it little differently and the parity uh, purchasing parity might break down at at some at some stage right if there is a parallel system running you know just going back to some history uh, when you had all these uh, sort of private currencies and uh, so on and so forth circulating then there were these uh, pricing problems uh, you know the bitcoin problem is not a new problem some of these private currencies in the past have had these problems where uh, let's say especially you have these very interesting uh, cases of currencies in new york and uh, and some other states which which where you had these different currency systems and the banks were issuing currency and uh, let's say there is a there is a different there is an x placed bank which is issued a note which has to be settled in a y place uh, the y place will only accept it at a particular discount uh and uh, so on and so forth so and then over a period of time we did away with all this and you have this fiat currency where whether you are paying 100 rupees in in a up or you are paying 100 rupees in karnataka or you are paying 100 rupees in gujarat it's the same thing that's because the the, the government has basically said uh that you know this is this is how it's going to be uh you have simply uh, said that a uh, 100 rupee thing so i think even if you have these things running parallelly with private currencies you know what is really uh, interesting and a bit and a real and at a sad point is that uh, much of this innovation uh, came from these technology companies i mean it didn't come from some bank or some financial institutions though in the 1970s 19 there there are there are these papers which uh, point out that uh, some communities or some entrepreneur did try to come up with you know with a currency uh, a, a token based currency on technology and stuff like that but none of those experiments really worked the the, the bitcoin as an idea uh, comes from this comes purely from a technology sort of a, a thing which really you know shook up our ways of thinking about monetary systems and stuff like that so what is going to be very uh, interesting is is how this multiple sort of things are going to you know shape going forward right now the pandemic before the pandemic there was some hope uh, that you know the private sector or these private guys like maybe so libra is an idea a lot of lot of research has been done and a lot of criticism has been done that it's going to be you know another of those uh, centralized institution which is going to you know dominate the payment system and what are going to be the global ramifications and stuff like that essentially it at least made you think about alternatives uh, it made you think about uh, the new ways in which technology can you know shape the the monetary and so with the pandemic i see all these private currencies virtually being done away with because the pandemic has as all pandemics have do is basically they promote uh, the role of the state much more than so though people realize that you know the state uh healthcare systems and stuff are are very problematic but even then you know the role of the state becomes very central in all this right so much is going to be this the same thing is going to play out in the monetary affairs as well where you were seeing a lot of these private initiatives coming in etc etc but uh, the pandemic has pushed the world into a central bank digital currency mode uh, the private digital currencies are more or less you know going to disappear though there was some interesting news that bitcoin has become the fifth or the sixth largest uh, sort of a medium of uh, currency after dollar euro and so on and so forth but firstly the governments are not going to allow private currencies to flourish 
and if you have digital currency issued by the central bank and you have a physical currency issued by the central bank i think that parity issues are not going to be a problem because it's going to be uh, you know declared like you know just like you say that a 100 rupee stays a 100 rupee and uh, the only way the value of 100 rupee comes down is through the inflation i mean and that's the reason you have a central bank which tries to push the prices down it's it's such a it's such an interesting and such a challenging time to be a monetary scholar with so many things going on you've got to really think about uh, so many things so i mean in one way uh, there was a there was a strand of thought which said that the banks uh, so far have not really have struggled to provide financial inclusion uh, because it's costly for banks and you know it takes away the profitability and stuff like that so why can't a central bank using the digital currency sort of an option uh, and it has a public goal so you allow wherever banks are unwilling to you know open accounts let the central bank open accounts and uh, but then uh, it brings all these points in that you know where do you where do you draw a line saying that the central bank will not be able not be so once you allow the central bank to open accounts where do you draw the line that it should you know stop opening the accounts for some and not for the others so one last point about the hybrid uh, because you brought up libra and i wanted to like have a little more discussion on that is libra is something that draws from central bank currency it draws its value from a basket of stable currencies so uh, and as you also said you know that it's the technology companies that are leading this forward and unfortunately it is not some bank or some financial institution that came up with this so how would this model look like in case we have a hybrid system this would also break the uh, geopolitical hegemony of certain currencies because it's drawing value from multiple currencies so do you see this as a model going forward cons- considering that it's, it's globalization and different countries are experimenting at different levels of cbdcs what what are your thoughts on having a, a public private partnership in currency i think uh, the public private partnership is you know already happening in the sense that uh, bis has set up innovation hubs where it is set it is uh, though i i i'm very disappointed that you know bis only chose to set up these innovation hubs in developed countries right not really picking up a developing country and i think they should have not for any other reason but i think india uh, we've got some very exciting talent in technology and a lot of people are thinking about it and a and a bis hub in mumbai or ideally mumbai would have really brought some very interesting uh, solutions uh, for financial inclusion and so on and so forth so and all these sandboxes are are an effort to bring in private players to sort of you know work with the central bank regulators and you know come up with certain ideas and stuff like that so that public private partnership is is already on coming back to your point of libra so essentially this is what happens right i mean bitcoin was seen as this major disruptor it would it would not really depend on central banks it would not depend on anything and it is basically a peer to peer system but then uh you know uh, the libra guys should have would have should have understood sorry the the bitcoiners and basically came from this uh, or belonged to this thinking in economics about you know free markets and there's this there's this whole school called austrian school there should be no government no central bank so so you you did see that bitcoiners and some of those initial guys who picked up these ideas they were looking at completely no government involvement in monetary affairs 
but then to imagine that the government is going to let go of such an important monopoly was too much of a simple simplistic thinking so obviously the government ended up blocking and you know coming up with banning and cryptocurrencies and stuff like that cryptocurrency exchanges and stuff like that and now so libra came up with this sort of a mid solution where it said the libra currency is going to be digitally it's going to be provided on our facebook platform we have all these partnership companies but this is going to be a stable coin in the sense that so far the bitcoin value was going up and down this essentially will have it will be pegged to all these major currencies so as a result its value is going to be stable and then since we are pegging ourselves to all these currencies all we are trying to do is that we are trying to act as a complement to uh, the already existing system uh, where we are not saying that we're going to replace the dollar and so on and so forth all we want to do is that whoever is a give people choices and whoever is a facebook user can choose to settle transactions in you know in in that libra currency and as a result but then uh, obviously the governments are smart they saw that facebook has some 3 billion users and if all of them begin to transact in then who's going to who's going to i mean how uh, that, that synodage or whatever you call it 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 goes to facebook and then i will not be able to control the activity uh, because if you go back to david graber's point it's the state and the creation of taxes uh, so state plays a major role here and here you are seeing that role being taken away and libra controlled by facebook facebook is anyways dominating a lot of digital space it will also begin to dominate the monetary space so they suddenly woke up to the challenge of a possibility of you know somebody replacing their uh, monopoly really and it shook shook them up and uh, so far they were most of the central banks and most of the governments were just simply interested in banning cryptos but now they are looking at you know a digital currency of their own so so in that way i think one of the uh, czech national bank uh, uh, deputy governor once said that you know in all this we do understand that finally it's the central banks and the government which will take over but what is very interesting is that we were at least you know challenged by all this thought process in in the last couple of years and uh, it would have been it would have been good if we had done that thought process you know all that challenge came from the computers and the the software pro- programmers so be it is what he said and we have to simply look at it and work on it so uh, yeah i mean there are no sort of easy answers as of now uh, because you know so you have so much going on uh, yesterday only i came up with this crypto exchange which, which has got a banking license in united states so forgetting the name starts with a k so they were so far facilitating cryptocurrencies and it's an exchange and united states has this you know very weird monetary system where even though federal reserve is a central bank and you have a you have a central government and in most of those countries the central bank and the cent- most of the other countries central bank central governments determine the monetary affairs in united states the states have some powers this exchange has got a uh, banking license in wyoming and that banking license is that of a is that of a special uh, depository instit- institution which it which means that uh, you know as a bank so far it was an exchange so now you could store your digital assets with these guys so it's more like a custodian bank what is also very interesting is that the the cryptocurrencies which so far were believing that they will do away with the fiat money this exchanges bank whatever deposits they get they 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 are not supposed to be making any loans uh and it is going to be 100% backed by a fiat currency so 
it's it's all these ironies, right? I mean, on one hand, you were thinking that, I mean, all these Bitcoiners or these exchanges were saying that we'll replace these institutions, potentially be done on an exchange platform. But then over a period of time, they realized that human memory is so entrenched to a banking system that unless we open a bank where we uh, do all these, so what they want to do is that they want to facilitate transactions in cryptocurrency, but it was not really happening through the exchange, but they believe that it will happen through the bank because people still associate a bank with stability, with this, that. So, so they've got, this news just came out a couple of days ago. So I was quite interested to say that, okay, these different combinations which are at work, you know, different sorts of institutions which are, which are you know, coming up that initially you had these Bitcoin guys, they were simply interested in their exchange. Now they've come to a bank and they've come to a bank and you've they've decided to back their currency much like, uh, much like Libra uh, with, a, with a fiat currency. So the fiat currencies are obviously not going anywhere. They're going to be replaced by e-dollar or whatever you call it, e-dollar, e-rupee and stuff like that. And with that, you'll have some physical uh, rupees and physical dollars continuing. But this whole ecosystem right now uh, and the experiments going on right now, you know, take you back to some 200, 300 year, year old history where people were experimenting with these ideas for the first time when physical currencies were being introduced. You know, what shape will they take? What kind of institutions we should set up so that these transactions can happen so that there is trust in the currency. That, that's a major uh, thing, the trust component. So, so all these you know, things are surreal to imagine that um, you know, so many years later, so many centuries later, actually, uh, humanity is again discussing those questions which it, which it was discussing at some point of time. That's it for my conversation with Amol Agarwal. Thank you for listening to this episode of Legal Synthesis. Please don't forget to share and subscribe. We're available on all podcast platforms. This episode has been edited by Nirmal Bansali and the soundtrack is composed by Rohan Shiva.